Okay, so uh, we are uh, the the we're in the sort of the closing chapter on King Solomon, very very tragic chapter. Uh, we saw here in First Kings eleven. We're going to be really starting in verse fourteen, but just a brief a brief history of where we were last week in the beginning of of uh, of um, chapter 11 of first kings it 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 talks about when solomon when he was old it says um his wives turned his heart away from the lord and so he apparently had uh a really uh strong uh beginning and 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 middle of his of his reign were were strong for the lord uh, he was building the temple. He was worshiping. He was uh, sacrificing um, idols, uh, not sacrificing idols, sorry, sacrificing um, uh, whatever it was, burnt offerings and uh, peace offerings and uh, this type of things. And, uh, and then it says when he was old, and that should be sobering to, to any of us who are uh, in in our middle age or beyond middle age, uh, that um, it, it really is possible. And what what was it that uh, turned him away? It says it was his wives. His wives had turned his heart after other gods. Again, he had seven hundred wives, three hundred concubines, many many of them from foreign nations who did, and the women did not worship God. And uh, we closed out last week with, the, uh, with a warning from the Lord to him, uh, a, a great warning, and actually it was prophetical in nature. Uh, the Lord uh, told him, look, because you have done this thing, uh, and, and reminds him that, look, I appeared to you twice, Solomon, but you turned away anyway in verse 9. Uh, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you. Now, again, uh, we closed last week. Jehoshaphat, who's one of my favorite kings in the Bible, not perfect in his own right, but uh, did a lot of good things, turned back to the Lord after he was told something similar. In other words, just because Solomon has said, look, you know, your kingdom is going to be torn away from you, uh, not in your years, but when, when your son comes into power, doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're supposed to go, oh, that's it. You know, I guess I should be uh, just, uh, I should just continue in, uh, in my sin the rest of, the lo- of my life. No, that's not the case. Um, you know, similarly, uh, someone can go into a, a, a real serious backslide towards the end of their life. <clears throat> There's going to be consequences of that. The Bible says whatever, whatsoever man sows, he reaps. Um, but it doesn't mean that uh, once the Lord gives them a strict warning through a brother or sister or a sermon or in a dream or whatever else that there's going to be serious consequences. doesn't mean you just say, oh, well, I'm just going to live the rest of my life um, in the gutter because, 
uh, you know, I have all these consequences coming my way and the Lord has told me. No, we, we always, always turn back to the Lord and there will be times of uh, refreshing from the Lord and whatever man sows, he reaps, which is so after your backslide um, for good, you will, you will be reaping good. And so uh, there is no evidence that saw um, Solomon ever turn back to the Lord. I think that it's, to me, it's pretty clear that he did not because it didn't say that he did not. Uh, but you have um, folks saying that the Song of Solomon was written after he repented or, um, uh, or, or, or Ecclesiastes was written after he repented. I say, no, 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 no. Um, he, he, there's no mention of that here. I guess it's possible, but you know, it's it's foolish for us to be, I guess, overly dogmatic about these things. Uh, but it doesn't. It, it looks like he had a really bad ending. Verse fourteen says, uh, <clears throat> so he warns them that look, the king, the kingdom's going to be torn out of your hands, uh, not in your lifetime, but when your son uh, comes into power. And then verse fourteen says, now the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon. Hadad the Edomite. Now, Edom is modern day Jordan. It's modern day, uh, yeah, modern day Jordan. He was a descendant of the king of Edom. The Edomites, remember, were uh, descendants of who? Esau. Uh, they were descendants of Esau, uh, who, remember, um, really represents in the Bible uh, a person who is a type of the flesh for his, he gave away his own birthright just for a bowl of soup. Uh, he came in one day, if you remember, after hunting and Jacob was there and, uh, uh, and he's um, so, so hungry. He asked for a bowl of soup. Jacob says, uh, you want, you want soup? Um, give me your birthright. And lo and behold, he gives him his birthright for a bowl of soup. And that's really a type of the flesh. It's how uh, the flesh responds uh, when, you know, you just, you, you're a slave to the flesh. And that's what Edom represents. Verse 15, for it happened when David was in Edom, meaning Solomon's father was in Eben, and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain after he had killed every male in Edom, because for six months, Job remained there with all Israel until he had cut down every male in Edom. Uh, this is um, in 2 Samuel, the story about when David defeated uh, Edom. And apparently, I, th this is new information here in verse 16, Joab sticks around <clears throat> after David's victory and, and cuts down every male. But um, the king's son had it fled to Egypt, verse 17, and certain Edomites of his uh, father's servants went with him. Hadad was still a little child. Then he arose from Midian and came to Paran, and, and they took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house, a portion food for him, and gave him land. Uh, yeah, similar to, to, to today, uh, when someone is deposed or defeated a king, uh, a king or, or a president or a dictator is deposed and uh, they, they, they seek refuge in other nations. And uh, 
surprisingly, many nations take them in uh, rather than bring them to justice. I remember in Haiti, Aristide, who really was the one who started all the problems that are currently in Haiti. Um, maybe, sorry if that's too much of a political statement, but it really appears to be the truth. Um, he, he fled with millions of dollars to France and France let him stay there. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes you wonder why uh, th that happens, but uh, that has been a practice for thousands of years. And um, Egypt uh, gives uh, refuge to this uh, prince of Edom who had been defeated by David. Verse 19, had it found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh so that he gave uh, him as wife, the sister of his own wife, that is the sister of Queen Tapanese. And so not only does he give him refuge, he, his, he gives his sister-in-law to him. Uh, and so uh, could be that at that time, uh, probably at that time, uh, the, the Pharaoh, not a big fan of, of, of David, and was beginning to be threatened by David's increasing power to the north. Verse 20, then the sister of Tapanese bore him Januba, his son, whose Tapani, whom Tapanese weaned in Pharaoh's house. So on top of everything else, uh, the Pharaoh's wife uh, really raised the, the son of this prince of Edom. So this guy's getting a lot of favor here. And Genubath was in Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh. So when Hadad heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, let me depart that I may go to my own country. Then Pharaoh said to him, but what have you lacked with me that suddenly you seek to go to your own country? Uh, verse 22. So he answered nothing, but let, do let me go anyway. And, and so he, he went back to Edom uh, when Solomon had reigned, and apparently he became a, uh, a nemesis to Solomon. Now, keep in mind, David had killed almost every male in Edom, and so that hatred is left in, uh, in this prince who uh, fled as a small child, but when he grows up, uh, he knew, knows full well the history, and so he begins to be a nemesis um, of, he begins to be a nemesis of, of, of Solomon. Remember from verse, four, verse 14, it says, the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, and God will do that to you. Um, if you are in a time of rebellion, if you go into big time rebellion, he will raise up people um, to be a thorn to you. He's a faithful God. He will do it. Um, and, and, and also, he's a just God, and his judgments are, are perfect. And so, uh, he, uh, because of Solomon's great rebellion, turning to, to other gods, worshiping Moloch and uh, worshiping, um, I believe Chronicles says he actually sacrificed children uh, to Moloch. God's not that God responds to that. He's a holy God, and, and he raises up this man, Hadad. But not only Hadad um, as well, it says in verse 23, God raised up another adversary uh, against him, Rezin, the son of 
Eliada, who had fled from his lord, Hadadezer, king of Zobah. So he gathered men to him and became captain over a band of raiders when David killed those of Zobah, and they, were, and they went to Damascus and dwelt there and reigned in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, besides the trouble that Hadad caused, and he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. It's so interesting that this hatred has just been passed down literally for thousands of years, and, and today, modern-day Syria, Iran, uh, the, these the, the, these countries with just an intense hatred um, of Israel. Uh, it, it, it's um, it, it's 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 amazing to behold. It continues right up to this day. So it says in verse 26, this is a major event here. Then Solomon's servant Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite from Zerida, whose mother name was Zeruah, widow, also rebelled against the king. Now, this is going to be one big rebellion. Eventually, he's going to take 10 tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel with him, this man, Jeroboam. Uh, verse 27, and this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built the Milo and repaired the damage to the city of David, his father. Now, the Milo, um, uh, biblical scholars are not sure what it is. They believe it's like a large wall of large fortification uh, guarding Jerusalem. And this man built him. Apparently, it was massive. Uh, and this man, Jeroboam, um, had been assigned to build it. Verse 28, the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now, it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, met him on the way, and he had clothed himself with a new garment, and the two were alone in the field. So this guy, Jeroboam, is walking along, minding his own business, and all of a sudden, a prophet uh, appears before him. And verse 30, it says, the prophet Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it in 12 pieces. Uh, you can imagine Jeroboam, it's like, what in the world's going on? Is this guy out of his mind? And, and that we do see this with uh, prophets in the, in the Old Testament, um, prophets doing uh, very unusual things. Uh, we'll, we'll see that when uh, later on in, in, in our study, Isaiah going around naked for a while, trying to get the attention of Israel, Hosea taking on a prostitute uh, as a wife, a lot. Um, Ezekiel sitting on his side, um, uh, lying on his side day in, day, out for, day in and day out for hundreds of days. I mean, uh, this is what was done to really get the attention of the people. So uh, Jeroboam's with him. He, uh, this is, Solomon is in the middle of his full-on rebellion. Remember, he's building temples to foreign gods for his wives and, and this type of stuff. Um, and the prophet, verse 31, said to Jeroboam, take for yourselves 10 pieces 
For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give 10 tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. So importantly there, he does note to Jeroboam that Jerusalem is going to remain holy to the Lord. Now, Jerusalem, now Jeroboam is going to um, rebel against that truth. And he is he eventually the 10 tribes, um, he, Jeroboam is going to become their king. And he's also going to forbid them to go to Jerusalem, which will really turn the Lord against them. Uh, it really raises the Lord's ire. But it, he makes it really clear here that Jerusalem, even though it's going to remain um, under the king's of the lineage of David, Jerusalem is going to remain a holy city, even though Jeroboam uh, will not have um, control over that city. He's going he's gonna to get the bulk of the land, the 10 tribes to the north, but the holy city, he's, he's told you need to keep that um, you need to keep that city holy. Um, and then in verse 33, he explains to Jeroboam why he is going to um, rip these 10 tribes out of the lineage of David and Solomon and give them to Jeroboam because they have forsaken me. Because they have forsaken me. And worship Ashtoreth the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments as his father David did. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes." but I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you, 10 tribes. And to his son, I will give one tribe and my servant David, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem. And again, he repeats, to the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. So I will take you and you shall reign over all your heart's desire and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways, do what is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house, as I built for David and will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not for Ever. And so this is quite a turn of events. I mean, we've re been reading about Solomon, his incredible uh, strength and power. Uh, it, it, the silver was made uh, as it was as nothing in 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 Israel during the time of of uh, Solomon, and and no doubt you had to be in the midst of it and think. How could this ever change? I mean, we are going to reign forever. Well, it's going to stop. There's going to be 
10 of the tribes uh, ripped away from, uh, from uh, Solomon's line. It's going to be his son, Rehoboam. And, and you know, there, there is just, I, I, I wonder all the time, uh, uh, frequently, for my, ever since I think I was a, 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 a boy, why was I born in the United States of America? I mean, here we are, the, the most powerful country in the world. Uh, and you do get the sense sometimes that you look around and surely this is always going to be like this. Not so. Uh, but that's the way that there's the pride of man. Uh, and the, uh, th this has been a cycle for um, for thousands of years, same thing with every other major power when the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar, just fabulous strength and wealth. The Medes and Persians, same thing. Incredible strength and wealth. The Greeks under Alexander the Great, the Romans. I mean, the Roman Empire just ruled the, uh, the world, the known world at the time, at like an iron fist. And no doubt people people living at that time were like, obviously they're going to rule for forever. Not so. Um, the Bible specifically says that God's, God puts down nations and then he raises them up. And so uh, real, really important that as Americans uh, or people who live in America, uh, that we don't let our, our our pride get the better of us and that we should always be maintaining a, a humility. And, and that should be America's posture, by the way, throughout the world, one of humility. I do want to point something out uh, that three times uh, he says in, uh, in, in chapter 11, that David did what was right in my eyes and kept my statutes and my judgments. He says it in verse 33. He says it in verse 34. He says it in verse uh, 38 as well. And uh, you, you have to ask yourself, it begs the question, why does he say this three times that David uh, followed and kept my commandments and my statutes when David clearly did not. I and mean, I was talking with a couple brothers this last week, and we were talking about you know, what are the most notorious sins uh, uh, mentioned in the Bible. And so uh, number one, obviously, was was Adam and Eve, um, and, and but but after that, what what might it be? Uh, uh, Judas betraying Jesus, um, but certainly in the top three is David and Bathsheba, and uh, <clears throat> and uh, it is uh, it's really a sin that hangs over the whole Bible in a sense so much to learn from it. Uh, the Psalms, a number of the Psalms were written from it, but it really is a demonstration, uh, not only the, um, of the fact that even a very, very, very good man can sin, but also as heinous as a sin could be, David committed adultery and then killed uh, the husband of the woman who he committed adultery with, that there's grace. So it's a tremendous 
uh, uh, it's a tremendous teaching on grace, but why in the world would the Lord say three times in, in within about six or seven verses that, that, uh, that he kept my commandments and my statutes? Uh, I did a message on this um, a couple of years ago. This is just, this is the grace of God. Uh, you know, with, with, when the grace of God, and there's many other examples of this, uh, where in Romans it says that um, Abraham did not waver in his faith in, in Romans 4. Now, why would, it, why would it ever say that? He did waver in his faith. Um, he uh, twice uh, gave his wife up to um, a, a, a king because he was scared the king would be jealous uh, or would would covet his wife and kill him, uh, and there are other examples of what uh, as well. And 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 this should be an encouragement to you that notwithstanding the um, the sin that you may have committed in your life, some of some sin that was um, maybe really really big time sin, God sees in hindsight. He sees a man or woman who walked with the Lord, provided of course that you. Um, that there's always that there's always repentance. That the Bible says, uh, um, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin, and we can and we'll have fellowship with God. It says in First John one nine, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And and in terms of uh, of our of our testimony with heaven. Um, we're blameless. It says that in Ephesians chapter one. Now that may be shocking, but grace is shocking. Grace is scandalous, actually. And uh, and David, as we know, when he was confronted by Nathan, um, the prophet, um, he can said, he said, "I have sinned uh, against the Lord," and then he repented, like big time repentance. And it's just amazing to see that um, over and over again, you will see comments like this, that uh, David uh, kept my commandments and statutes. And why does he say that? Because essentially what it means, his life is covered in the blood of Jesus. Um, he, he was obedient, though he sinned, he turned back to God. And um, he, he sought forgiveness and his life was covered in, 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 uh, uh, in the blood of Jesus. And so um, looking back uh, on your life, um, provided that you, are, that you continue growing with the Lord and seeking forgiveness and pleading to God for forgiveness and, and continuing to move on, you will be known when you get into heaven as a man of God. Hey, there's that man of God. And you'll be thinking, how can they call me a man of God? What about, have they forgot about this sin and that sin and every other sin? No, no, listen, this is what the, the, the reason, I say it all the time, the reason the cross was so ugly was because your sin was it, uh, uh, really ugly and it had to be a lot uglier than your sin. And it certainly was. The sin killing the, the, the son uh, of God was a much greater sin than your sin. And Jesus' um, blood and, and all those uh, open wounds all over his body 
Uh, and not to mention the fact that he was actually the punishment of being separated from God was a lot uglier than your sin. And it pays for it. So that to me is always a reminder just of the grace of God. Uh, that, that every time I see, and we're going to see it a lot, that um, a, a reference to David walking in all of God's statutes, uh, that's, that is just a wonderful teaching of the grace of God. By the way, I, I say it all the time. I was talking with someone yesterday. I don't understand how anyone understands the, the grace of God without reading the Old Testament. But anyway, um, enough of that. Verse 40 says, Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam. So apparently this, this prophecy gets out. Uh, the prophecy that, uh, that uh, Jeroboam is going to rip away the or, or rather god's going to rip away the 10 tribes to the north more or less without any war there will be war between jeroboam and, and rehoboam but um it, it it's but but it it there wasn't a war um that resulted in the 10 tribes going to the north it just happened uh and uh and and so uh, and, and Rehoboam, at least initially, accepts it. So there wasn't even a word. God did it. Uh, God, God did it in accordance with his prophecy. And um, But apparently the word gets out. And Solomon, of course, uh, the guy's backslidden. He's in his old older age now, which for him was was in his something like his mid-50s. Mid um, um, at the time, because he died in his uh, in his mid to late fifties, it's possible he 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 was in his early sixties. But um, uh, he sought to kill him. But Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. And so, you know, that's, that's also uh, interesting to me that um, at this time, he is um, going to Egypt. And, and once again, in, in, in Egypt, the, uh, the, the king is accepting him here. And so, um, it's, um, it's unclear to me whether this is the same uh, Pharaoh who, it's unclear to me, I'm now looking at 1 Kings 3, whether the, this king was the same king um, whose daughter married Solomon. I do not think so, but um, you can email me and correct me. This is apparently a new um, Pharaoh, Shishak. And... Uh, he 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 uh, he lets Jeroboam uh, he lets Jeroboam stay with him there in Egypt, and apparently, again, the 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 Pharaoh in Egypt is threatened by everything that's going on to the north of him, with Solomon's reign being so um, expanding so much, and him being so powerful. But it also is an indication that towards the very end of his life, his, his power began to wane, in other words, reduce. Verse 41, now the rest of the acts of Solomon, all that he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? And you say, hey, wait a second, what's, what's that about? 
the book of the Acts of Solomon? Where's that? Is that in the Bible? No, it's not. Why? Because it was not inspired. And uh, that's why we do see references to books from time to time in the Old Testament uh, that are not necessarily um, inspired books. They're just um, books that, that were written at the time. And um, it has been said, uh, I think we've already read enough about the Acts of Solomon uh, and, and, and all his wealth and all the gold and, and, and this type of thing. I, the last thing we need is a whole, to, to suffer through a whole book of that. Um, and I say that with, with reverence, but it, it's a little painful when you start reading in the, when we read in the previous chapters, just um, how much wealth was being built up. And it just really did reach the point where um, Solomon did things in excess. Verse 42, and the period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. It does appear that he became king in his late teens and early 20s. So he, he dies in his late 50s or early 60s, probably. Um, it's possible that he was older, but verse 43, then Solomon rested uh, with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. I do think it's um, odd that this man, Rehoboam, who takes over for Solomon, we don't know the name of any other uh, son of, of Solomon, even though there had to, there very, very likely were hundreds of them. I mean, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. We only know the name of one, Rehoboam, and he was not a good king. Um, but, uh, you know, before we move on, I, I think that it is worth um, mentioning uh, before we before we move on, Solomon, the wisest uh, man who ever lived. Remember, uh, he had great favor um, with the Lord when um, he uh, when he uh, started out in in First Kings three. He he God said, "Ask and I'll give you whatever you want," and he. He asks for wisdom. God gives him wisdom, but also power and riches as well. Uh, he gives him abundant um, wisdom. And notwithstanding all his wisdom, he still, it has been said, um, as wise as he was, he still died a fool. The wisest man who ever was died um, a fool. And... Uh, that should be a pretty stark warning for us who live in Boston. I mean, Boston uh, is uh, quite possible in the opinion of many, many people, uh, the most famous place for accumulating knowledge in the, in the world. It um, has 60 universities. Uh, it is the home of so much learning. So much accumulated knowledge, but in the end, uh, it has been said that knowledge will not get you anywhere. 
even the knowledge of God's word will not get you anywhere. What's important is just simple obedience to God's word. So we can know all the, we can know, we can have the Bible memorized, but if, but that doesn't make us spiritual. What makes us spiritual is simple obedience to the word of God. But uh, as Paul says, um, I think to the Corinthians, uh, knowledge puffs up. It, it, it really does. Um, it, it puffs up. And uh, for any of you who who have, have whatever multiple degrees in education, that should be a sobering, sobering thing. The story of Solomon knowledge puffs up. It, 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 um, it, it intoxicates and it's, it's so uh, important that we sober up just by, by, um, a life of prayer and being in God's word. It's the only way to stay sober. And I'm not talking now about uh, um, alcohol. I'm, 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 I'm talking about pride. Uh, wisdom will do that to you. And so, uh, so important that we learn from the lesson of Solomon. So Rehoboam, uh, verse 1 of chapter 12, went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to she Shechem to make him king. So initially, all Israel, all 12 tribes were behind him. But it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt, that they sent and called him Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, and so they, uh, what, what becomes apparent here is that they, they call back Jeroboam, and what, what is apparent is that a good portion of Israel had become disgruntled towards Solomon towards the end of his reign, and that's only natural, right? I mean, again, whatsoever a man uh, so as he will reap, and he's living a life of sin, and he's going to lose favor with, with people. The Proverbs say that when a man is following the Lord, even his enemies uh, will come to respect him. But uh, I tell you, when uh, uh, someone's not following the Lord, um, even his own people will come against him. And so that's what they do. They call this guy Jeroboam. Apparently, um, again, it had been made known, publicly known, that there had been a, a prophecy about Jeroboam, that he would become a leader. So they call him, and uh, it said that in verse 3, then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, your father made our yoke heavy, meaning he made our lives miserable by putting on us the burden of labor. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. And so uh, Solomon, and remember all those building projects he made, is uh, putting aside the temple, uh, which uh, God gave 
David the plans for the temple, and then David gave them to Solomon. So the temple was really something that was clearly uh, affirmed by God, the building of the temple. But Solomon, remember, he made his palace so ornate. It took him 13 years to... Um, it took him 13 years to build it. And, and not only that, as we, we read, uh, he had those 500 shields of, uh, of hammered gold. He had a gigantic throne of ivory. You couldn't even see the ivory. Um, it was overlaid with gold. He had these uh, lions. Um, uh, he had six steps up to his throne. And on each side, there was a couple of lions. I mean, it was just all his drinking vessels were gold, it says in uh, chapter 10 of First Kings. And, um, and and there was just, who was paying for all this? Well, yes, he, he was getting gold from and tribute from other countries, but supremely it was his own people. He was taxing them. Um, he was... Um, uh, requiring a lot of labor there. And, and, and it says in verse four, that the, their service was burdensome. And, and they said, um, uh, and they essentially with Jeroboam, apparently the spokesman, uh, he, on behalf of, of Israel, he goes to him and says, and, and says to Rehoboam, lighten this load that your father put on us. And so in verse five, it says that Rehoboam said to them, depart for three days, then come back to me. And the, uh, and the people departed. And so uh, in verse six, it says that King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? Um, so Rehoboam uh, consulted the men who had, uh, these were, would have been older guys. I mean, Rehoboam at this time is 40 years old, but uh, uh, he, he, uh, he's around 40 um, years old. But um, he is, um, goes to his father's counselors who had been in his father's cabinet. These guys, um, they knew a thing or two about what works and didn't work. And uh, it says in verse seven, they spoke to him saying, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. Verse eight, but Roha, Re, 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 Rehoboam uh rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who, who stood before him. It never, so uh, he consults the guys who he grew up with, his friends. You, you can just imagine who these guys are. Uh, they, um, you know, there's just, you get this picture with these guys. They grew up uh, drinking, probably running after women, just, living lives of profligate, like profligates. Um, and they, they loved the life they were living. And he goes to these guys and he says, Hey, look, this is what the, these old fogies who work for my dad said. Uh, they said that we need to speak kind words to them. We need to compromise. We need to lighten the load. What do you guys think? What advice do you give? 
verse 9. How should we answer these this people who have spoken to me, saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Not surprisingly, verse 10. The young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Uh, on us. Thus you shall speak to them. My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips. I will ch- uh, um, will chastise you with scourges. In other words, uh, you thought serving under my father was hard. I am going to make it triply hard. Uh, and uh, he says here, my father used a whip that would have been like a single cord against you. I will chastise you with scourges. The literal translation is scorpions. Actually, the King James version keeps the literal version. And, and uh, scourges would have been uh, the whips uh, or or kind of like a, a Roman scourge. They obviously didn't have that at this time. It had four, three or four bands and it had metal uh, pieces of metal in it. In other words, there were stuff protruding from the whip that it was much, much more difficult. And so that, and so it says in verse 12, so Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had directed saying, come to me the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice that the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young young men saying, my father made your yoke heavy. I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips. I will chastise you with scourges. Verse 15. So the king did not listen to the people for the turn of events was from the Lord. See, God was behind all this. God had already prophesied that 10 of the tribes to the north would be going. And even though we have every reason to believe that Rehoboam knew about that prophecy, by this time, Rehoboam, he, 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 well, not by this time, he, he had never been a man of God. He had he had grown up under the influence of his father. He's, he's oh, there's a prophecy that by a prophet of Jehovah that 10 tribes are going to be ripped away. No, it'll never happen. He disregards it. And um, he goes back to the people and he, uh, he, he speaks to them harshly. Um, and it says the turn of events was from the Lord. Verse 15, that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now, when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king saying, what share do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who uh, dwelt in the cities of Judah. Verse 18, then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the treasury, of the revenue, but all Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot 
in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So Rehoboam realizes, hey, this is no joke. He may have thought um, at first, oh, these 10, uh, the, these 10 tribes have left me. I'm going to show them. And uh, he, he apparently mounts on his chariot with his tax collector because he's thinking for 40 years, all he had, for 40 years, all he had seen was his father reigning and, and his, his, his father had absolute power. No one ever messed with him. And he is falsely presumption, presuming that, oh, certainly uh, this is going to be easy. I'll just reign like my father and people will respond to me like they responded to my father. Not so. They kill the tax collector. He jumps on his chariot, gets back to Jerusalem. Verse 20, now it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they sent for him and called him to the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none who followed the house of David, uh, but the tribe of Judah only. Um, and when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of, uh, of Benjamin. I should just say, you do see from time to time, like at the end of verse 20, that only the tribe of Judah uh, followed uh, Rehoboam. It's unclear why it says that, because we know that it was 10 tribes went to the north and two, Judah and Benjamin, went to the south. It could be that uh, Benjamin was such a small tribe uh, it's uh, that it, 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 it speaks like that. It's a little unclear. Uh, it could be that the tribe was so small and it was so joined to Judah that for at, at the time when Judah was mentioned, everyone understood that Judah and Benjamin were uh, sort of united. Uh, but verse 21, and when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, one hundred and 80, uh, 180,000 chosen men who were war warriors to fight against the house of Israel, that he might restore the king to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of the God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, you shall not go up to fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. And then surprise, surprise, therefore they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back according to the uh, word of the Lord. So as I said earlier, without really any war, the 10 tribes set up a new kingdom under this new king, King Jeroboam. And, uh, and this is the way, by the way, the Lord so often does this. And, and we'll be seeing this more in the book of, of First and Second Kings, where uh, a godly king will go out to, to war and won't have to do anything. The, the Lord just takes care of everything defeats the enemies without any real, any, any actual war. And so oftentimes um, it's like that with you and me, that the, the Bible says the battle belongs to the Lord. Your battle belongs to the Lord. And so oftentimes uh, 
all you have to do is just wait upon the Lord and see the defeat of your enemy. Psalm 25 says, no one who trusts or who waits on the Lord will be put to shame. Oftentimes it looks like, oh no, I'm going to be devoured by my enemies, whether they're, you know, human beings or just circumstances. Um, but God has a way of doing it. The battle belongs to the Lord. Uh, before we finish up, I do want to just go back over, um, uh, go back briefly over uh, which, what happened with Rehoboam and his downfall. Now, it does say um, uh, to in 1 Kings 12, 7, when he first went to the uh, the counselors of Saul and his father, they said, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. That's a shocking thing, really, because at the time, um, there was no concept of a servant king outside of Israel. Outside of Israel, kings the kings uh, had absolute power and everyone was their servant the the very purpose of the kingdom was to serve them in fact that's why so many kings at the time uh, were were deified they basically made this themselves god and then the role of the people was to serve them there wasn't any concept um, of the king serving the people. But here you have Jehovah, the Lord, where um, we see the same thing with Moses, who was a servant to the people of Israel. With God, it's always the, the, the other way around. If you want to be a leader you uh, in the church or if you want to be a leader really anywhere and anywhere and do it God's way, you will be a servant to the people underneath you. And, and Jesus famously uh, illustrates this in, in John chapter 13, John chapter 13, um, which, which uh, was right at the, at the last supper. It says that after the supper was ended, this is the night before he was crucified, Jesus chapter 13, verse three of John knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And then he says later on um, to his, uh, uh, his disciples in verse 14, if I then the Lord, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also uh, ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you this as an example that you should do as I have done. That is Christ-like leadership. You know, uh, I say this um, quite often uh, in Matthew, uh, that Jesus only gives one adjective, uh, only attributes one adjective to himself. And we see that in the book of 
Matthew chapter 11, where he says, Come, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then he says, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, gentle and meek. Really the same adjective. The only real adjective given to Jesus by Jesus himself in the New Testament is meekness, or you could say gentleness, or you could say lowliness. Now, interestingly enough, in the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters um, of Ephesians are really all about who God is and who we are in Christ. In the first chapter, in the fourth chapter, it begins, now that you know everything about God and everything about who you are in Christ, here's the life you live. And um, it's very similar to Romans. If you remember, Romans chapters 1 through 11 is about the who. Uh, Romans chapter 12 through 16 is about the do. And so Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 really is about the who. Uh, Ephesians 4 through 6 is about the do. And what is the very first thing that in Ephesians chapter 4 that God says that you do now that you understand who you are in Christ? He uses the exact same two words that Jesus used of himself in Matthew 11 lowliness and gentleness. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beg you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness. We are called to walk exactly like Jesus walked. I wonder sometimes, I think the, the these, these verses are apparently uh, carved out of the Bible's uh, of many of the churches in the United States of America. I, I don't get it. It's There is such a lack of emphasis on lowliness and gentleness and such a huge emphasis on making sure we have all our rights. I don't get that. I don't read that. I, 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 it's not that we never, um, that, that we, we never assert our rights, but the priority of teaching of the Bible is for us to walk in lowliness and gentleness. So Paul begins with the same two words in Ephesians 4, 1 and 2 that Jesus, um, he uh, attributes to himself. And so uh, way back in 1 Kings uh, chapter um, 11, this is just, uh, this was really from uh, a word from the Lord. This was this was the uh, something that uh, again it it originated with Abraham and uh, and and came in through Moses. That just the most important laws are what loving God and loving people. And they're just telling Rehoboam, "This is what you do. If you do this, these people will serve you." But he rejected that. Took the advice of his buddies. And the people rebelled, and the kingdom, the rather the ten tribes to the north were ripped out of his control. 